Welcome to February 5th, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is the main event. It is the one that everything in one way or another has been leading to since we returned 11 months ago in WWF storytelling from March 87 till now. There's an old trope that goes something like this. What do you get for the person who has everything? And I find myself this morning thinking, what do you hype for the storyline that has everything? This storyline that is Bobby Heenan, Andre Hulk Hogan, that becomes Ted DiBiase, Andre Hulk Hogan, and somehow doesn't miss a beat. There is so much that will be said in this show. I have praise for Ted DiBiase. I have praise for Hulk Hogan. And later on, I want to talk about the complicated reality of Andre the Giant, because every time they bring these folks back together, more is revealed. Sometime during lockdown in early 2020, country music singer uh, Luke Holmes wrote the song Six Feet Apart, where he says, I miss my mom. I miss my dad. I miss the road. I miss my band. Giving hugs and shaking hands. It's a mystery, I suppose, just how long this thing goes. But there'll be crowds and there'll be shows and there will be light after dark someday when we aren't six feet apart. I want to trouble that six feet apart for a moment because part of the reason that we started doing this show is because we wanted to create a place of escape for you, a place of intellectual curiosity where nobody has to physically go anywhere to have a cognitive adventure. We have seen that. There is so much conversation around this show in LOPforums.com. There are people who never comment who listen to the show. But we did this so that we could have some kind of community, some kind of experience, even when we couldn't go anywhere. But the thing that hit me after doing a year of WWF, after waiting almost a year for the return match of Andre and Hulk Hogan, is that even though we want to so desperately escape this six feet apart in our lived experiences. When it comes to the storylines that matter, we demand that six feet apart. What is the difference between the Hulk Hogan Andre rematch in February of 88 versus a week after WrestleMania three or a month after WrestleMania three? It is something for what we want in a compelling storyline. Whether you like Hulk Hogan, give me someone I can care about, that I can believe in the training and the prayers and the vitamins and the connection with the Hulkamaniacs, or whether you like Andre the Giant and you sympathize with the Giant and you find them compelling and you know there are layers there that are not mentioned enough, or whether you just like the Hogan-Andre dynamic. The thing that we want is make us care and then make us wait. And I want to say something about that because storytelling, I have seen it said, storytelling goes before us because in our lives it's too dangerous to go out there and simply try to live because what if we fail? What if it doesn't work out? What does it look like? So we turn to story to find out what happens when the stakes are high. We turn to story and we expect consequences. So this disqualifies 
any era of professional wrestling where they tell you history doesn't matter or the big show can be a giant one day and a jobber the next and then a giant again. Or someone can be friends and enemies and it doesn't matter a month later. We want consequences in our storylines because we know there are consequences in our lives. We want to know what happens if Hulk Hogan tells the world that he will slay the giant and then he can't. Or Andre the Giant ruins his reputation and his friendship to become the world champion to challenge Hulk Hogan. And then what is all of this that happens with Ted DiBiase? We want to know that you're going to be all right, whether you win the clash or lose the clash. Sometimes the guy or gal that loses goes on to find a better storyline than the one who wins. We want to know what will happen when the stakes are high and the storylines matter. We're going to see at least three narratives because what I want to parse out later Teddy Biasi's narrative is not Andre's. At least three narratives. And they take time and they build. And that's what this era of wrestling is about. I'm glad to be in it. I'm glad to be bringing this to you. I am mostly glad that I have the co-host that I have. He is the best that is out there. And now he's like two days old, I think, or something when this 88 stuff is happening. So I don't know what's going to happen anymore. But ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction, Lord Mystic PhD. We are indeed here to talk about the main event, February 5, 1988, and yes, I am two years old at the time of the airing of this show. Let that sink in. We're finally talking about wrestling within my own lifetime. What a thing to be doing. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this show. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. This is, if you didn't know, the most watched, the record holder still for biggest Re uh, television viewership of any wrestling event in America, maybe the world, I'm not sure about that, but 33 million people tuned in to see this event, 33 million people, if you think, at home, well, these guys, you know, they get into it, that's fine, but, you know, it's not really that great, you know, they're exaggerating, it's not as effective as they say, think about 33 million people tuning in to see the next step, to see the next chapter of this story. That's unbelievable. That's unheard of. In a time, as much as I love wrestling, you can get 33 million people to watch wrestling now if your life depended on it. You know, you, you couldn't get 33 million people to hardly watch anything. So it's a different time. But, man, it's a, it's a time when the eyes of the world we're on professional wrestling, which I, I think is very cool. We're going to talk about this whole show. We have a bonus match as well. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Man, that is, that's a lot of people. And again, it, the temptation to send them home happy. But you know what? In life, uh, we want something more than happiness. We want meaning. And so thank God they didn't send us home happy with a slam and a leg drop. 
This will be a complicated show. It will be a complicated match. I felt like I was sitting in an electric chair trying to watch this thing because the energy was having its way. We will get into that. But also, I want to call out these negative thinkers who who you talked about who are listening to our show and doubting the hype. Be better than that. Get out of that negative thinking. It really is that good. It is it is an era that uh, is as good, as popular, as exciting uh, as it is for a reason. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to quit because there's nothing to hype. It's there. Uh, I'll let you take over because you have a bonus match and it is a fantastic bonus match. So what's going on, Miss fan? Thank you. I will definitely take it away. Uh, we, our bonus match, um, I apologize. Usually I would post this beforehand, but, uh, my personal laptop died mm. on Monday, uh, which is a very big tragedy for me because I use that as an extension of my brain. So I've been, uh, Wandering mm-hmm. in the fog for a while now, hoping I'm going to be able to get some files back. So uh, if nobody was able to find it, you can find it now just by listening to the beautiful sound of my voice. It is from the January 4th, 1988 episode of Primetime Wrestling. And uh, as my my friend said, I think this is a very fantastic match as well. It is Sensational Sherry defending the WWF women's title against Velvet McIntyre in a uh, match that was taped from Paris, France, no less. It's got Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary, so you know that that is great. Uh, But really, this match, man, we just on the last show, on the Royal Rumble show, we watched uh, this really excellent tag team match for the women at Survivor Series. They had their 5-on-5, and we were like, hey, this is actually very good. And in my opinion, this could be better than both of those, potentially, depending on your taste. But, uh... Man, what a great match. It's wild to me that um, this this is probably just about it for the women's division. I don't know if we're even going to see any more women's matches until, uh, you know, the 90s and um, what's-her-name, Alundra Blaze and stuff, because, like you said, this match is so fun. It's super good. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm really glad you like the match, because I agree. I think this is a, a, an awesome match to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Sherry, uh, Velvet McIntyre, Sherry's a good wrestler, Velvet McIntyre's a good wrestler, but Sherry also brings just this character-driven, storied, uh, uh, it's almost Ric Flair-like in what I like about his 80s, because the match is going, doesn't mean fault starts again and again and again because of psychology, because of not locking up, because of laughing and no knowing the idea. I'm not, no, no test of strength here. Why am I going to do a test of strength? Sherry is telling a story in every single portion of this matchup, and both are great in the matchup, but this is a testimony to the, just the full character and capabilities of Sherry. Absolutely. One of the reasons I wanted to feature this match is the narrative of Sensational Sherry is basically that she was a great manager, uh, and that's absolutely true, but she has this wrestling career, which is based, like, I think people might be surprised, a lot of them, if you told them that Sherry was also a wrestler, Um, but she's so freaking good, you know, she's a great bumper, she's bouncing all around the ring, Uh, she's stooging, she's healing, she's telling that story, as great. And Velvet McIntyre is a name that people probably wouldn't even recognize a lot of the time. And she is excellent as well. She's explosive in this match. Uh, So fast that even the commentators are like, these are some of the fastest moves we've ever seen. You know, she's just really going at her. And, 
it's just a shame the more people will know about matches like this, about this era, so I really want to highlight it and um, and give praise to not just Sherry the wrestler, but also Velvet McIntyre as a uh, forgotten name that I think in a different time or place would have become very well known. <laughs> it, yeah, I agree. It's, it, it reminds me, I've never had this thought before, but when you have folks like Sting and Lex Luger who face Ric Flair... There's all this narrative about Flair carried them, Flair made them, and there's some truth into all of that. But the, but the funny thing is, Ric Flair, in some ways, does the same kind of match, like begging off and stooging mm-hmm. and telling that story, whether he's facing Lex Luger or Ricky Morton. And the fact is, there is some reality that the stooging, at least visually, makes more sense against a Lex Luger or against someone who looks like they could knock your head off very easily. Mm-hmm. And I think... That tells me, again, partly why I like this, because Velvet McIntyre, like you said, is so explosive. I feel like she could kick Sherry one time and get an upset and the match be over. So when you're stooging against someone who could probably beat you with one move if they hit it right, it it just increases the effectiveness of the what and why of what you're doing. Absolutely so. And, uh, yeah, those kicks of Velvet McIntyre, I, I feel like they could um, take just about anybody's head off in a minute. Yeah. Um, she, at one point, she, like, kicked Sherry in the chest. I swear she was trying to come out yes. the other side just because, yes. man, what a what an impact. I love that stuff. And it's every time, like, any time you get into the McIntyre offense, like, that risk is at hand. So it, it, McIntyre is such a straight line in this match, and Sherry is is horizontal and to the side and, and every which other way than that straight line uh, that McIntyre is trying to create. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a classic story of the aggressive baby face and then the heel who uh, ultimately wants nothing to do with any of it, uh, but is going to use every trick and every uh, bit of knowledge in their head to get ahead and, and get the win in the end, which she does do. What I don't understand about this era mm. Is that Sherry? It, Sherry reminded me a whole lot of Bobby Heenan. Sure. Like gigantic personality, can't take your eyes off them. Knows exactly what they're doing. Like, what? Where is the factory that was making these people, and, and when did it <laughs> shut down? Uh, I think that factory was called the Territories, and they shut yeah. down when Vince McMahon ate them all uh, yeah. and tried to replace it with his own stuff. So. Yeah, never forget, we're reaping the benefits and the enjoyment of an era that is reaping off of everything other than itself at times. Absolutely. Benjamin Button um, was uh, making a very good point in the forums, as he often does, and uh, that is LLPforums.com. If you have trouble reaching it, do www.LLPforums.com. I don't know why that works, but it does. You can also go to WrestlingHeadlines.com and uh, navigate to the forum through there very easily. Uh, Anyway, Benjamin Button was saying that he put up an old clip of uh, the the I think something in the 70s where there were a bunch of managers and they were doing a segment together and uh, the point was basically that a lot of what Vince McMahon did in this era that worked Vince McMahon Jr. Um, is stuff that was not exactly a rehash but uh, definitely taken uh, in great part from stuff that had been done before and uh, it was very fresh of course because that was national and it was not before. And uh, you had the pick of the litter of kind of all of these great talents uh, who were built and trained and learned uh, in the territories, traveling around and uh, actually making sure their stuff worked. Um, So, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to look at. 
and as you say, so many of these talents, I think, are as good as they are because they came up in that system, and we're definitely going to reach a time when nobody came up in that system, and the difference is going to be noticeable. It is, and then I'm thinking about, too, there's that, and then there's like we're going to increasingly decide you know, what people are going to say. And, and sometimes we talk about, I think rightfully talk about, that there are times that you have writers who, you know, they're not the character, they're not out there, and they don't know what they're doing. But you could also have writers and agents who know exactly what they're doing, but it could just be that that's still not the best way to do things. <laughs> it's very possible. It could happen to uh, to us all, for sure. Um, sometimes just uh, mistakes are made. It can be made by anybody, whether you think Vince McMahon is a genius or not. You know, uh, Certainly not everything he's done and decided is perfect. I, I hope that nobody would argue with that. It's just because, right, here's what I'm thinking about with Sherry and Bobby Heenan and others. If they know how to do anything, they know how to sense the crowd in the moment and react in real time. Yeah. And I'm, re- I'm reading a book called Transcend, which is um, it's, it's Maslow's hierarchy updated with more science now and what that looks like. And I don't have it in front of me, so I'm probably going to uh, miss, I'm going to abuse these ideas. But within creativity, there is both and the openness to experience and then the kind of intellect that helps you make decisions. And when you're in that openness to experience, it's messy and you're wandering and it's very intuitive. You got all your senses working. There's not necessarily a function I, I have to get from A to B. And then then when you get into that other part of your brain, you get into that more intellect decision making then it's I've got to get from here to there. So when you've got a Bobby Heenan or a Sherry in an era that is character driven, that you're not like you don't have to say all these things and do all these things in this exact, exact, exact. Then you have space to wonder. You have space to stooge. You have space to read the crowd. You have space to react in genuine, authentic ways. Whereas I could have the best storyline and the best wrestlers ever. But if I'm telling it them in the back, you need to go you need to do this and then this and then it ends like this then we're already outside of the openness to experience and we're already in that uh, decision making less creative mode and then i have to go out there and enact that no matter what the real time calls for and it's just two different ways of being in your body thus being in the sport thus being to the audience so you've got these great characters who were able to do this thing in an era that allowed them to do it this way. And that's why we are hanging out here just as long as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it really is, I think, something that got honed by this system, which was a great system uh, through the territories, because it was basically um, get over with the crowd or don't get booked. You know, it was very uh, sink or swim. You couldn't rely on, like, Oh, but folks on the internet likes you or like the wrestling critics like you or, you know, even, I mean, I'm sure there was some element of uh, personal connection and uh, definitely nepotism. But still, apart from that, it was very hard to stay in your spot because everything kind of turned over so fast unless you were really there and really earning it. and You had the right instincts and you had the right training. Um and it is very different now, um, because, uh, like, <laughs> micromanaging is something that I hate, uh, and I think there's probably a lot more of that now in wrestling than there was then. It feels very much like, you know, we've got some 
high-level stuff that we're going to give to you, but you need to be the one who goes out there and embodies it and gives it life, and you just have to make sure you mm-hmm. give it to the right people. And it's just uh, it's very alive when you do it like that. And, uh, that's something I really appreciate about this era. It is, too. And for a lot of these people in territories, even if I go to a territory and they don't know me and I get over, there is a big chance that once I've worked kind of everybody – even if I'm still over, they're going to be like, you know, we kind of don't have anything for you. We need to bring in fresh people. And then you've got to go and start over with a new audience and get over with them. So you learn to get over time and time again. Yeah. Uh, I would just, if you wanted to be a wrestler, if you wanted to be any kind of personality that just can control the screen, control the moment, just watch the Sherry, watch the Sherry McIntyre match because it's a great match, but also just watch it in a master class of character and storytelling on behalf of one, uh, Sherry Martell. Absolutely do. She is so great, one of my favorites, and uh, definitely someone who deserves as much attention as we can give her. Um, also, I like the commentary on this match a lot. We talked a lot about different commentary pairs, but uh, as you might expect, Heenan and Monsoon um, is probably my all-time favorite, uh, and they have a lot of fun stuff in this match. They're, it's a match from Paris, and uh, they're talking about their trip over there, and they're arguing back and forth, and Monsoon <laughs> is chastising Heenan, and Heenan is constantly, like, he kind of wants to impress Monsoon or one-up him, and it never quite works out, and it's just a lot of very fun stuff on there. It's beautiful. It's, again, uh, Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura is a drama, Grill Monsoon, Bobby Heenan is a comedy. <laughs> Absolutely, a buddy comedy that you you just have to love. I also love, this is one thing, and I feel like you would never see this nowadays, um, Matsu and Heenan actually agree on one thing in this match. They are all over this referee and just, like, demolishing him for any mistake that he makes. And uh, and I like that. I'm sad that we don't have that anymore because now it's like a lot of times the referee doesn't even uh, exist, or if they exist, they're there to get bumped and have, like, some drama, but it's just, uh, they're just like, this referee is bad, he's doing a bad job, look at all these mistakes he's making, and, you know, if you want to talk about authenticity, like, you'll probably have a bad referee once in a while, especially if you go to, like, some place where maybe you don't have your normal people, and I don't know, there was just a nice authentic touch to that that I liked. I agree, I think that is a credit. Above all, too, I think Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, because I think both of them are willing to cross the line if they see something that is not. They're very rules based in their understanding of. And that's um, it's so hard to explain unless you're in this era and doing what we're doing, that it can have the larger than life characters. It can have everything that you have. And yet it is so obsessed with the technical role. (laughs) It's not a narrative, I don't think, that goes with it. Like, oh, man, they really cared about like, like those five counts on the ropes in the late 80s uh, WWF. <laughs> yeah, it's not not the hallmark. But, yeah, I mean, at this time, that stuff was uh, it was kind of sacred, you know. We would definitely see a time, and I think we all know uh, a different Vince, who's probably mostly responsible for that, but when we would kind of hand wave anything that wasn't um, – going to accomplish the end goal of being uh, shocking or exciting or uh, putting eyes on the screen. But in this time, like you couldn't violate um, any of this stuff because this stuff is like the glue that's holding it all together. And that, that probably um, is closer to my own mindset. Um, I do sometimes like the stuff that is uh, out there, but uh, when you're really appreciating all the different nuts and bolts and facets, I think uh, that really adds something. 
it also goes but when I talk about you know whether it's psychological evolutionary whatever needing those stakes and those consequences and stories because you know that most things in your life you're not going to say oh I want this and tomorrow I have this I am this well that was nice mm. they, it's hard and it sucks and most of the rules make no sense and half of them are against any kind of like benefit or progress and yet it also says oh well you need to be doing better and then it says you can't do better you know if you're watching something and you even if you love the characters and the storylines and there are these rules in place but then they're not in place and then they bend and they don't bend you know you've already lost the ability to see anybody do anything of consequence because everything just bends in ways that makes no sense if it needs to bend and so even something as simple as referees being held their feet being held to the fire, which is what we're going to get into later in the show, because that whole system is going to collapse <laughs> in a way that, you know, yeah. at the time would not have been expected, you know, but these things matter. And if you can build up like the great big characters, but also, you know, Hulk Hogan is Hulkamania and he's on Rocky, but you still can't like choke somebody for six seconds in the ropes. You just can't do it. Yeah, for sure. I, I love little rule things like that. Uh, huge pop for me. Anytime somebody, like, they're fighting outside the ring and they roll back in to break the count. Oh, I love that so much. I don't know. It's just <laughs> stuff like that, you know? Like, they're, it's the consequences we were talking about before. Like, you know, if you don't follow the rules, then you might get counted out while you're having a, a random fight outside the ring. So, no, I love stuff like that. It's a fight for credibility because one of them is just like just spinning body lock around the ring. But then like if, if you tilt the person back, you have them pinned and the referee doesn't count, you know. And so if it's a pin, you got to count and the ref and the announcers are going to be calling it for what it is. So they're not going to, you know, pretend like it's not. And I, I yeah, it's just maybe that doesn't matter to people. Maybe it does. But I find it very refreshing. I feel like it's one of those things, and yeah, certainly to some people it wouldn't matter, but I think to a lot of people it's like, if it's there, you kind of take it for granted, and if you don't, you might not even know what you're missing exactly, but it's like something is just a bit off about it. Um, I don't know. That's that's my opinion. So any favorite any favorite moments or spots in this matchup? Oh, I think we've covered it pretty well. Okay. Um, you know, it, you articulated it very well. It's Sherry with the great story. Uh, the great bumping, um, just a, a classic and excellent wrestler. And then Velvet McIntyre, who is uh, really a lost talent. Um, I, I wish, you know, uh, that she could have, uh, who knows, gone over to Japan or something where they actually had uh, a women's scene that had, drew a lot all on its own. I think she would have made a name over there. Or if uh, they actually could have bothered to invest anything in women's wrestling at the time, then we would really know Velvet McIntyre's name a lot more than we do. Yeah, I think this is a time where it would have easily gotten over big. So yeah, I think so. Like the opportunity was there, but oh well. I also love that Sherry is a, a late '80s WWF champion who does the leg drop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, very true, very true. Imitating uh, the champion himself, perhaps. What a what a star! So Sherry does keep the championship, and she does Sherry for all the good it'll do her. Yeah. She is just she is just the kind who wins matches with um the crossbody roll through. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Uh, who knows what finisher she had properly, or if she even had one. You know, she rolls through, she got the win, and um, yeah, deservedly so. But 
as we will see, she is soon uh, going to be put on other things. Actually, I don't know if you even know, but we're going to see her again on this show uh, in a very different role. Yeah, I, I did notice, and I love that we have that match. I, ha- I have things to say, and I, I, if you are critical of it, you know, more power to them, but I, I have praise for Sherry in that segment as well. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to it. So we are jumping from January to February, again, February 5th. 1988, the main event, and just like Saturday night's main event, we begin in rapid fire, ladies and gentlemen. Randy Savage is back. He's taking on the Honky Tonk Man in a return matchup, and he kicks off. He is going to send him up on the bus back to Disgraceland. Uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah. 33 million people tune in, and they get to see Randy Savage, but then they have to see the Honky Tonk Man, so uh, every good deed. Has its price, I suppose. Absolutely. Hoggy Tom Man still pushing the angle that he, um, uh, Elizabeth is in love with him. He is going to uh, culminate this romance after a victory with Randy Savage. And Jimmy Hart brings back the line that they're just lucky you don't play the piano, which we will hear later in the night as well. And you called it right when you talk about how in this era they just pick a thing and they drill down and drill down and drill down because uh, – that's even more true than I realized. Like, they'll just take something, and it'll go and go and go and go. And, yeah, it was, like, in the fall of 87, I think, that this started. Um, so we're still doing it in February, and nothing's really changed about it either. So uh, this one, this one's getting a little tedious to me, but I think at least we're at the end of it. I mean, hopefully we have to be because we're so close to WrestleMania 4 now, so... And this is the first time I was rolling my eyes at Jimmy Hart and uh, the Honky Tonk Man just completely because at least it was original then. But Honky Tonk Man, again, you know, he's a character in this era. He did well in his role, but, you know, I don't know if he um, carries over as well as some of the others that we're watching. Not for me. You know that. (laughs) Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant um, are next. The one and only true champion. Um, the belt flexing yeah, his hands in anticipation of choking Hogan. He can't wait to do it again. So we got a choking, angry giant ready to take on Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and then Hulk Hogan, the big nasty giant, snuck up behind me. So again, the rhetoric of Hulk Hogan. He's a big nasty giant. He snuck up. Uh, thousands of. Uh, Mile, thousands of miles away, Hulkamaniacs uh, were also filling it as per usual. And then uh, tonight, the thoughts and the prayers uh, will we'll save Hulk Hogan. And we will get into later in promos from both, where it really does become the audience versus the money. And again, I will wait till we get to the match because there's so much there. But I want to remind you, there are three wheels and three narratives at play. There's Hulk Hogan. There's Ted DiBiase, and there's Andre the Giant. So here we are, Miz fan, the main event. Main event. Um, Hulk Hogan, yeah, saying, and I just, I have to harp on this a little bit further. Hulk Hogan saying that um, thousands of miles away, other Hulkamaniacs, maybe ones who weren't even watching, also suddenly couldn't breathe when Andre yeah. was choking him. What a, what a, what a thing to claim it's, you have some weird connection with these children, and when you're in pain, and by the way, it's your job to be in pain, to get beat up in the <laughs> ring, 
apparently they are also out there feeling the same pain as you. So really, I think to be truly kind and alchemaniacs, you should probably stop wrestling because you form this unhealthy connection with these children. And uh, apparently, according to you, they're feeling the same pain as you. So it's um, uh, we uh, there there's there's a, a a montage later on of Hulk Hogan just working out and flexing and being muscular. And between that and between this. I can see us very slowly inching towards the Hulk Hogan that I will have no interest in watching, uh, where he's just ridiculous and a caricature, and he's not there yet, but, I mean, I feel like we're taking our first steps towards that Hulk Hogan here. That's interesting. I think maybe we'll see uh, this night differently, because I don't know how you feel about the match. Uh, the match Hogan, is a little different. I'm focusing on these this this promo and this little video right now. The match the video is a does nothing for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not into that stuff. The promo I'm not as against because this is the same man that said you know he could have took Ted DiBiase's money and like gave it to the Hulkamaniacs and benefited them, but you know this, this he's not going that route because by God this is an era where you you go the you go the you go the long route, Miss Van. You suffer for the things that you care about, and this does. Hulkamaniacs, you know, it's not free. Like, you you can get an album in the 90s with a song, I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac. You think you get to just sing that song and not suffer when the great Hulkster <laughs> suffers? That's the price of admission to the cult. Okay, all right, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It just put me in mind of these um, early 90s promos that really kind of uh, – yeah sealed the end of, of the good Hulk Hogan for me, where every promo was about, like, children being hurt or dying yes. because of his opponent, and it was just so lame. So, I don't know. Like I said, we're not there yet. We're taking a little step. That's just, that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, I think for me what it is, as long as he needs the Hulkamaniacs, I'm, I'm into the rhetoric. All right. In the 90s, he doesn't need them. That really is needless suffering because now the Hulkamaniacs suffer, but Hulk Hogan never suffers. So he doesn't even get hurt in the ring. He doesn't get threatened. But what I like about this, and I'll wait till we get to the promos, is that it really is the, the people versus the fans. And you hear very different opinions. Like when you watch the Hulk Hogan promos, it really is like he has all of these things and they're built and rooted into this like space element and this belief system. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to prevail. And then you hear Ted DiBiase, and he's like, oh, you got the, those nickel and dime uh, Hulkamaniacs. And you're like, oh, the Hulkamaniacs suck, and they're not worth anything. So <laughs> that actually doesn't matter. So, again, I think for me it works as long as I feel like it's needed. Uh, and right now I feel like it's desperately needed because I think that Andre by himself might be the better man. But Andre with Bobby Heenan or Andre with Ted DiBiase, and as we'll see tonight – Hulk Hogan will say before the show's over, I thought I had every base covered. <laughs> oh, man. All right, fair enough. I, I still think it's a little much to uh, put the onus of choking when you are choking onto the children who like you. But, yeah. Uh, I understand what you're saying. The rhetoric, I would never underestimate the rhetoric of Hulk Hogan for sure. Those fans are probably them sitting, sitting at home feeling guilty because they actually could breathe and then they had to learn how to suffer more. But, you know, that's, you know again, Hulk Hogan's like, well, that second jetpack or whatever the fuck it is is not going to turn on by itself. There you uh, go. Learn to suffer more. There you go. I like it a lot. <laughs> this crowd, my friend, oh is my so hot. 
as we go to ringside. They're going nuts. Vince is there with Ventura, who's wearing an outfit that is weird even by his standards. It's like a Russian leopard wizard hat, maybe. I don't even know what to call it. But, man, the crowd was drowning these two guys out, even though they're speaking into that microphone and being amplified, and the crowd is still drowning them out. So, man, not for nothing, 33 million people watching at home and a crowd that was just out of their minds for this. So, very good stuff here. Yeah, it is the old cliche of it being deafening, and you can hardly hear. Like, I just thought I could not hear at times. Yeah. I have no idea what was said several times in the early parts of the show because of the fans. Absolutely, man. The fans, like, they couldn't have been more excited for this. This is uh, this is sort of peak popularity here, because like we said, it's a record. You know, they're never going to draw as many viewers as they're doing on this show. So this this is sort of the peak right here. Mm. People who probably never watched another show tuned in just to see this one, just to see what was going on. Um, so it's a big night. It's a very big night. It's also, we got to put one more feather in the cap of the Hogan Andre story because yeah. WrestleMania three is that ninety three thousand, you know, that arena you know, setting event. Now we got that record setting at home event and both of them done in less than a year by the same two people in the main event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean however many people you think were WrestleMania three, it was still a record and this is a record as well. And uh this is a record that still, you know, Austin never drew this many T V viewers on any show that he did and uh you know how we love Austin, so we got to call the facts, though. Yeah. This is a peak television interest in wrestling, uh, probably of all time. And also the the, the, the access, the channel, the yeah. time that they had just shows, you know, they have fully rooted themselves in pop culture. And, you know, and not only that, they're not a sideshow that is being entertained because they're hot. They are in this moment. Like, you can plug us in and do as good, if not better, than what you would do normally. Absolutely. That's a hell of a testimony. So, the Hogan workout came next. The only thing I will say, he screams at the end, and I don't know. I think it's almost this power, supposed to be this powerful release after all of that. And it it felt to me, despite what it was intended to be, that this is a man that knows somewhere in his being that one way or the other, this whole four-year thing that he's had going where he can't be beat, can't be stopped, is about to be over. <laughs> a little maniacal, a little desperate, uh, could be, could be. You find Andre nowhere screaming or at, well, we'll get into that in the match. He's not out of pocket at all. He is, Andre is cool. You would think it's a day off for Andre at times on the show. <laughs> you might as well be leaning against those ropes still. Yeah. That enduring yeah. image. I love it. Uh, Gene Oakland is in the back with a honky-tonk man. Uh, he says, you're no journalist. You're missing the story here. Of course, the story is that romance uh, that, that doesn't actually exist. So it's also not a story. So good for Gene Oakland. Um, he, uh, we got a lot of Elvis song references, Heartbreak Hotel. The, we do, yeah. There's no, I feel like there's no drama to this. Like, honky-tonk man is not going to steal Liz. Nope. Um, what will the consequence of this be? And part of it, you know, I know Savage is not going to win the Intercontinental title back, so maybe that would add something to me if I didn't know that. But even then, like, 
the argument that was made in the forums about Honky Tonk Man being Intercontinental Champion uh, was very compelling. It was basically that, you know, this is a guy who actually drew well main eventing house shows because people really thought, well, he's going to get beaten at any minute and we're going to see a new champion. And that makes a lot of sense, actually. So I, I give credit. I forget who pointed that out, but uh, that is a compelling argument. But that in no way really translates to us in the future looking back. Uh, so I don't expect them to book for people in the future looking back 30, 40 years. But it's so lame. The Honky Tonk Man is just lame. He doesn't translate well. I'm going to get into this more in the match, but he doesn't even do... Like we were talking about, we were praising Sherry for like the good heel things she does. Honky Tonk Man doesn't even do those things very well. Honestly, he's like average at best. He doesn't really like to bump very much. Um, even, like, his stooging and begging off is, like, eh. Like, I've seen a lot better from, like, people on the same show. <sighs> I get it, but I don't like the Honky Tonk Man. I don't find him entertaining. He's the lowest hanging fruit in this era because, yeah. like he said, his heat, in part, isn't even skill-based. It's the fact that he has a body that is unimpressive and there are idiots <laughs> I apologize. There are people in the crowd who, I, if I go to a wrestling show, I go to enjoy uh, the characters who I choose to watch who have made this their life, and I haven't. I never sit in the crowd thinking, by God, I could take that guy. But, you know, <laughs> there are some that do. And so it's not even his stooging off the when his heel uh, ways that, that do that. That is a fan-induced experience just because the man doesn't look like a pro wrestler. And that's why they get mad and they are they he gets heat is because that you got a lot of people thinking, by God, I could be intercontinental champion. I could take that that damn steel barrier steel barrier wasn't in front of me and by God I can't jump over it. But you know, if I could, I'd take him. That is the honky tonk man heat right there, and that's that's nothing to write home about, as they say. Yeah, I suppose. Um Yeah. I don't know. I I, I respect a wrestling fan who comes to the show and is invested in, like, who's going to win and who's going to lose, I think that's great. Yes, but, yeah, if I, you come and you just think, like, oh, yeah, like you said, like, I could beat this guy, then, like, I don't know, you're thinking about it in a weird way, in my opinion. So. Yeah, and more power to you. I, 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 sometimes my insults are in character. Not, it's not <laughs> an insult if you feel that way. Like, enjoy it however you want. But I'm just saying that even that is the strength of the imagination or belief of the fan. And Honky Tonk Man is not necessarily doing anything to make that happen. His, his gimmick is a ripoff of someone else. His talent is, is lower than pretty much anybody on this show. So, like, what is it that he does, you know, that we are supposed to be praising him for? Yeah, I don't know. Just looking really weak and beatable, I guess. I don't think it bothers me because you've just got such a, a slew of great heels who bump and stooge and give their all and uh, cut good promos. And I feel like he doesn't really do any of it. So it's frustrating. Now, five seconds of Peggy Sue has been better to me than the entirety of the Honky Tonk Man. Like, yes. yes. She comes out. I thought it was fucking happy days at the sock hop and <laughs> uh, at Arnold's. Like Peggy Sue is just so much vibrance and life of what that era is like whereas she's dancing she's moving about she's dressed to the to the character and honky the stiff old honky tonk man is standing yeah i don't know i don't know the difference between if he's shaking his hips or if he's standing still it all looks the same or wrestling a match but peggy sue my god i didn't even know it was sherry when she first walked out you know 
But the moment she walked out, not even knowing it was Sherry, I was like, my God, energy and character right there. Absolutely. I think I had the first, uh, the same experience the first time I saw her, because you might not know immediately that Sherry, women's champion, great wrestler yep. we just talked about, uh, as it's not enough to be women's champion. You are also now a different character, a second character. You are Peggy Lee, the blonde, um, I don't know, not manager, because Jimmy Hart's the manager, just like the hanger-on of the yeah. Huggy Talk Man. But yeah, like like almost everything Sherry did, she goes all out with it, and she impresses me immediately. Um, there's just an energy to her that is sorely lacking in the hockey talk man. If this was 2020 uh, NWA, they would speculate it was Sherry, but Peggy Sue would never claim to be Sherry. And you would wonder, like, she would be wrestling still, unlike this era. She would be a dominant champion. But what if someone like Sherry was a dominant, serious champion who also liked to dress up in a wig and play Pe- Peggy Sue, but would never let on? Like, to me, there's something compelling about that. And then not allowing people to to say it, Sherry, not even wanting it to be known, but by God, you can't help but go out and do it. And it there's there's something that could be explored there if you really wanted to. An odd compulsion. To be <laughs> <Yes>. sure. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Savage, there's audio issues on top of the crowd uh, response for the Savage and Liz. So I had a very visual, visually disturbing moment. I can't hear Randy Savage. So for the first time, I just see his skin. And I don't know what color is what color of red is on the other side of red, but or if this is a blood high blood pressure ad, but the fire and heat of Randy Savage when you have to look at him and can't hear him, he was a shade of person I've never seen, and I thought his head was going to pop off of his body, and it just is a visual representation of the fire element and the good, the bad, and the ugly of what it embodies to be Macho Man Randy Savage. An absolutely frightening shade of red. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had that in my notes as well. Um, I have no idea what was causing this. Maybe he had an actual fire inside of his body this night. Um, It's frightening, so check it out, you know, if you want to see something frightening. But I want to talk about, we've talked about some uh, fashion choices on these shows. Not enough has been said about Macho Man's cape, robe, Poncho, I don't even know what exactly to call it, but this promo starts with him with his back to the camera, his arms spread out, and it's just the whole, like, the visual of this cape, and it's freaking beautiful, man. I love this piece of uh, gear. I think it's awesome, and uh, it's part of the ideal Randy Savage to me with the short trunks and the, uh, the headband and the glasses and this beautiful cape, these capes that he wears. They're just awesome. I love them. Yes, absolutely. And and just these details, like you said, the turn away from the camera, the cape spread open. They, there's so many uh, gestures that are Randy Savage, and I think we need to do more of that. The cape is a character in itself. WrestleMania 4, I believe. We will see Randy Savage uh, in four different outfits, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. so that will be it's the pageantry and majesty. I keep writing majesty or majesty, and I keep writing kind of majestic and all these kind of words. And this is the man who will later be the macho king. And ah, man, I just don't know. It's it's the opposite of the honky tonk man who is a who is an Elvis impersonator. Like Randy Savage is like this super macho, super masculine, yet also flamboyant, yet also high flyer, yet also powerhouse. Like he never he never says I need to be contained into one category that you might want to put me in. 
he, uh, a lot of these characters, and not just Honky Tonk Man, although him in particular, they come out and they're sort of just, uh, one thing, and maybe they're just, like, imitating one thing, and you say, what's, oh, what's a Honky Tonk Man? Oh, he's an Elvis impersonator, and you'd know everything you needed to know. You can't do that with Randy Savage, unless you look at the fact that he is so transcendent that you could just say, oh, he's doing, he's Randy Savage, he's Macho Man, you know, mm. like, that is the thing in itself. Other people, there could be a, Sa- a Randy Savage impersonator. There was, Jay Lethal did that as his gimmick yeah. for, like, several years, so, like, if you're so iconic that other people are imitators of you, then you have really transcended to a higher level. Maybe you're in that space element, maybe you're just that damn good I don't yeah. know, but Randy Savage is that guy. That's a hell of a take, Biz fan, because Savage is facing an impersonator, and Randy Savage will create impersonators. So if you need to know the difference between the two, I don't think there's a clearer way to put it. <laughs> this is – I'm with you. I hope this is the end of this. You know, there can never be an ending because the greatest loss would be if Randy Savage had pinned the Honky Tonk Man and become the Intercontinental Champion. So, mm. you know, where do you really want to go from here? Savage is beyond this. But the feud continues. This is really almost the, the the George the Animal still experience of Randy Savage's babyface experience. There's another person coveting Liz, except it's bad that he does this because now the roles are reversed. Except now I miss George Steele. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Savage is good, though. Savage is all over the place. Savage is in the ring. Savage is out of the ring. Savage is over the top rope. Next snapping. Savage is after Jimmy Hart. Peggy Sue's down there. And it hit me, and I don't know if I said this in the other show or not, but we faced a similar thing with Savage and Jimmy Hart when he was surrounded on all sides by uh, Nightheart, by Brett, and all of them. And yet, Randy Sa- I think Randy Savage, um, who was surrounded by all three of these in this match, I think he also is surrounding them. Yeah, he is everywhere. I saw that man at times in the ring and out of the ring at the same time, and that was kind of impressive. <laughs> kind of impressive, indeed. Um, yeah, the energy of Randy Savage just uh, permeates everything, and yeah, he's constantly uh, coming from directions that you don't expect. One day, yeah, he's down in the ring, and then suddenly he's like coming up behind. Uh, the heels and attacking them, and he's just, he's all over the place. He is transcending laws of reality that he shouldn't be able to transcend. But man, when you're a blazing inferno hurtling through the space element, I guess you can do what you want. Yeah, I said, uh, errors where uh, 80 Savage would not have thrived. Uh, WCW, when the over the top rope rule was uh, strictly enforced, and WCW, when jumping off the top rope was a disqualification. Mm. Yeah. Randy Savage is either over the top rope or off the top rope at like 70% of the time in his matches. Absolutely. How did he survive that, Eric? Because they still had the some of those rules when he went over, but oh well, it doesn't matter. The referee uh, looks at the crowd while you throw people there off. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with this match, but I was overly impressed with Savage. And uh, they. it seems like the whole match... It's just Liz being in danger, and Savage yeah. has to, like, go save her. Um, so it's a little, uh, it's Sting and Luger at the, um, what was yes. it, Capital Combat or whatever. You know the show, I mean, where yeah, Savage uh, basically yeah. loses the title because he has to go keep saving uh, his little yeah. friend. So Savage is to Liz <laughs> as Luger is to Sting, and I'll take that for what you will. Oh, man. Except for at least... 
I think Savage is fault at times because I think there are times that Elizabeth might not even need the help, and Savage is still you know overly. <laughs> but Sting, you know, old, old Sting, who's going to be the world champion, the only man that Flair will put over. You know, he's down there. No, he comes down, and this is not the show, so I won't stay out. He comes down and strikes Lex Luger, slaps him in the face, and then he gets beat up and calls Luger the belt. And then we, we, you know, Sting is the hero, but alas. <laughs> Jesse Ventura does say, you notice how involved Peggy Sue is. She doesn't sit like Elizabeth, like she's a stump out there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is um, a fair critique. Uh, yeah, I guess Liz is just always there for moral support because uh, she never does anything. And uh, when she, when Savage is a baby face, he has to spend so much time saving her. Um, but I, I, he, he would rather have her there than in the back, I guess. So uh, I guess it works for him. Clearly it works for him because he will be world champion uh, within a month or so. Yeah, and also uh, you, Savage is over. But then after the match, when he holds the rope for Liz and picks her up on his shoulder, that thing gets like a major pop. So whatever yeah. is going on, that relational element is over with that 80s crowd. Right, Liz, um, it's going to sound like maybe I'm bashing her. I'm not really. But Liz probably got over the most by doing the least of anyone yeah. in wrestling history. Like she does nothing. Um, but she has a great look and she has this relationship with Randy Savage, which is meaningful to people. And yeah, she was very over and it worked, you know, it was very effective for sure. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Savage gets the win by count out. Uh, he celebrates. So doubling his resemblance to Lex Luger a little bit there. Um, (laughs) uh, we get a kind of a rehash drama of honky tonk man. Again, he comes and threatens Savage with the guitar, and it uh, looks like he's going to get hit. Liz stands in the way. This time they don't eat Hogan. Savage just kind of like saves himself. And then, uh, yes, they do the WrestleMania 7 bit where he holds the ropes for Liz and he holds her up on his shoulder. And, you know, we're, we're going to see that again in a uh, more important moment down the line. Yeah, so Hogan will be there kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thing. thinking of WrestleMania 7. So oh, no yeah, Hogan yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I will also say that. We could have changed history this night because Honky Tonk Man tries to strike Savage over the head with that guitar. And Savage just lifts his hands up and just catches the guitar with his hands. We could have eliminated the rest of Honky Tonk Man and the entirety of Jeff Jarrett if people had watched this night and realized instead of taking a headshot with a guitar, just put your hands up and you can grab it and take it away from them. So that's, there's a secret reveal that people were not, uh, that people did not pick up on enough going forward. A secret counter to uh, yeah, if only, if only. I just had a thought, and this is a this is very conspiracy theory. But what if Liz is like a stump because she gives all her energy to Savage, so he can have the energy of two people. So she has sacrificed being able to like like take two steps so that he can be like ten shades of red and like flying and be in two places at one time. What an interesting bunch. It's a uh, it's it's good a theory as any because yeah she doesn't seem to be able to move or speak or do very much and Randy Savage can do uh, anything so you know I, I think he would need more than one person's energy I do though, too. you know yes so. if there is a space element it's for Randy Savage okay. is because like where Hulk Hogan is so much rhetoric where you can see he's trying to hype himself on his own rhetoric Savage has nothing to do like he's never talking himself into it the talk is just like some weird after effect of what already is mm. yeah yeah uh, last note for me on this match i texted this to you and it's good, too good not to say i was trying to think 
And don't ask me why I didn't bother, but I was trying to think of the element of the Honky Tonk Man, and I came up with, uh, I think he's soggy dirt. Um, he's, he's got a little bit of water, because, you know, he's flexible, he's like squirming his way out of all these situations, but I think mostly he's just dirt, because he never changes and nothing can affect him, and he just sort of like lays there. Um, so yeah, that's my analysis of the Honky Tonk Man's element. That is perfect beyond words. <laughs> if anybody is soggy and dirt, you know, because he's so like he's very tall and very like straight up, and yeah. but yeah, he's a little soggy at the same time. And I don't know how. That's maybe that's the most impressive thing about him is that he is like dirt, solid dirt, but soggy at the same time is like his his claim to fame. He's just wet enough to be a little slippery, but not yeah. enough to ever change his structure or shape. So he's just soggy. And he, we praise Jimmy Hart a lot, but the, Jimmy Hart at his worst and most annoying. Like there's something about Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart that go together. The worst Jimmy Hart and Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> I mean, the worst Jimmy Hart is with Hulk Hogan, so I can't go that far. But yes, uh, of all of Jimmy Hart's pairings, Honky Tonk Man is low on my list. They just they they get over for the same reason, you know. The idea of Jimmy Hart yelling into a megaphone with a kind of an irritating voice and Honky Tonk Man threatening to sing. Like it's all like we're. I've never been that big of a fan of like I'm going to irritate you, and that's what makes me a heel. <laughs> no, I get it because in the end, it's really just irritating. Um, yeah. I'll say for Jimmy Hart, at least I feel like. There's an intention behind it. He's like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm a squeaky little person and I'm going to be yeah. evil and you're really going to love it when somebody punches me. Whereas Honky Tonk Man is more just like he's there and you kind of wish he'd go away. But like not even like his singing is not that annoying. Nothing yeah. about him is really that annoying. Nothing about him is really anything. So, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't sing in this era either. You know, no, he never most... sings. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, is that like a babyface move then? Is that every time he's gonna sing, the the babyfaces are like, "Oh God, no!" And then he doesn't sing, so it's like, you know, I don't know. I think he sung sometimes on um like the weekly shows, like yeah. that was his version of the haircut or the snake bag. He would just sing at his defeated jobber, and that was like their punishment for being a jobber. So take that for what you will. I apologize to. I'm sure there are honky tonk man fans, but. <laughs> Yeah, if he you can sell us stuff. beyond the argument, which I already accept that he was a good Intercontinental Champion because he drew people, and that's the most important thing. People thought he would get beat. If you can make an argument beyond that to the quality of the Honky Tonk Man, I'm more than happy to listen. I've had my mind changed before. Um, it would be a tall task on this one, but do it if you can. I, I'd love to hear it. The thing I just thought, I guarantee you there are many, many, many more charismatic Elvis impersonators than the Honky Tonk Man. Oh, I mean, there've got to be, right? Yeah. Like more athletic Jerry ones, Waller. like ones who would actually take a bump, you know, if needed. Yeah. So <laughs> it really is, and so again, it just keeps coming back to. I feel like he's a heel because it just irritates you how bad he is, and that's <laughs> like Jeff Jarrett was even worse. And Jeff Jarrett, I think, was that without supposed about being that was not the way it's supposed to be. But why are these? He is soggy, so I guess I can't say it. But it, there's, a, there's a dryness to it at the same time, too. I think of Jeff Jarrett, and I think of Honky Tonk Man. There's this just, like, you reach in to pull up whatever you get from from their character, and you come back with nothing. It's just this nothing. It's just dry, and it's 
this this dead and again i think if there's energy there you're putting the energy on it yourself yeah yeah i agree with all that oh jeff jerry is he in the oh he is in this era okay he'll have some good matches eventually we'll see him yeah probably maybe at his best i don't know we'll have to judge when we get to him for sure his match with Shawn Michaels, if it holds up from my childhood, was excellent. Where it's supposed it, to be a great one. I think that's one I've not seen. So uh, that's usually the go-to for Jarrett defenders. So I'm going to have to see that and uh, decide for myself if that's uh, going to redeem a lot of years of mediocrity and crap. Yeah, it's a, it's a rare t- opportunity where someone got something out of Michaels in the ring. So props <laughs> to Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> oh, my. So we get all the hype that we've seen on every show where we go through the the, the documentary of the Hogan Andre. They talk about the 93,000 plus and an era that's larger than life and credible. I wish they would just be like, there are 93,000 minus at that event. Because then, like, everybody wins. <laughs> but, but no, we can't do that. That would just be so, so precious. Because then it could be like, oh, there's like 190,000 minus. But no. <laughs> we had uh, somewhere under a million people at our show. You know, why yeah. not? You might as well. But hey, this is not a, a, an era of minus. I don't think you ever you would no. ever say the word minus in this time. It's always got to be plus. So That's a good point. Okay, so this is so weird that they go over this every time. And, and the storyline is so good that I'd never get tired of it. Like, I'm always wondering, what, what are they going to say this time? What are the claims going to be? So yeah, it's that same drill down, but uh, it does feel fresh still because the story is progressing, which is important. It's not just the same thing over and over because now we have the rematch. Um, but also, it's just a very good story. And uh, I'll do my own little drill down here. You notice nobody's talking about like, oh, we didn't know if Hogan could slam Andre or not. No, that is not the story of any of this. The story is actually much better than that, so pay attention, please. Thank you. Okay. That's such a great point. Jesse Ventura will praise Hulk Hogan, which is rare in the match, because he's like, well, at least he's not coming out here trying to slam him this time. Oh, that's great. I actually so. like this match a lot, um, and uh, part of it is that, yeah, like Ventura points it out, but there's, there's like, genuine strategy in this match. Hogan wrestles this match differently than he wrestled at WrestleMania three. And that's so important to me. I love when... This is my problem with, like, the Ric Flair Sting matches, because they never changed from 1988 to friggin', like, yesterday. Probably they wrestled again, and they had the same match. Um, When people wrestle each other differently, based on what happened in the previous match, that's one of my favorite things in wrestling. I agree. I have a note somewhere about that, and... I got so much, so much praise for what's coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesse Ventura says of the choke that we saw at the last show, there's a man who's not going to be cheated two times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love uh, when Ventura, when Andre walks out to the ring, um, Ventura, he has a very good night, um, marveling at how Andre blocks out the entire screen. Uh, yes. What, oh, what a God. nice comment. I love that. That is... What better way... Like how many times... Yeah, he's a giant. Yeah, he's the eighth wonder of the world. But it's just... He's watching the monitor, and he says, this man blocks out the entire screen. Mm. And it's, if it's not factually correct, it's damn near correct. And it just tells you, you know, what you're up against, what Andre the Giant. This is a man who is a once-in-a-lifetime being. And what I've learned from this era is that he understands it. Yeah. Andre the Giant knows his value. And it's a way that I think 
the, what brings out the worst of Hulk Hogan is that I think that underneath all of it, there's some kind of insecurity. There's some kind of threat. Like he shouldn't be threatened by the ultimate warrior. He shouldn't be threatened by a lot of Sid justice, but everything is a threat to his power. And he's always taking and overcompensating and overclaiming. And I watch Andre the giant. And this is a man who understands his value. Yeah. Uh, we got some promos to get through and then the match. And I will say some things that just popped up to me by the end of that match about Andre. But it is, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, say, I think even to the end of uh, like the Colossal Connection, um, the thing that impressed me out of Andre, even when he was almost literally immobile, is that, yeah, this is a guy who I think knows, and I don't know if it's instinct or something he thought about, who knows, but this is a guy who just knows on some level how to make the things he does seem impactful. And I think this is the difference between Andre and Big Show, who was almost very nearly the same size yeah. but never had the same aura. And I'm a guy who likes Big Show, but it's not even in the same conversation. Uh, Andre never stops being Andre, whereas you don't really know who the Big Show is from one day to the other. And uh, it's just knowing how to make that impact. And Andre knows. He just knows. He does. I think it's it's that authenticity and that confidence. It is it's within him. Like he's not reaching for a gimmick outside of what he already is and embodies. And he's a very moral man. I've got to stop talking about him because I want to get to my revelation when they're in the notes and when they came to me. But this Andre the Giant, I think, is a very very moral man in 1987 and 1988. And it's going to get back to the fact that. If there are baby faces and heels in this era, that's because you only listen to half the announce booth. You only listen to Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon. But in reality, they're just competing narratives. And maybe the quiet, quietest narrative is Andre the Giants. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they don't even talk about Andre's uh, narrative that much. There's a lot of focus here, I think, on Ted DiBiase yeah. and uh, his motivations and his story. And there's a lot about Bobby Keenan uh, before the, the handoff occurred. Andre, though, yeah, I don't know. There, there is um, a certain, uh, well, he spends a lot of time choking, but still, I think uh, there's a certain morality to this guy. Yeah. I, I, mm. Ted DiBiase, to me, again, he's no Bobby Heenan, and not many people are, but the Nobody reason is, is the reason that this works so well is because the arrogance to come on the scene out of nowhere, if he's able to buy the championship, like the entire system that employs the WWF competitors is gone. Like there's no longer a system and he's doing a damn good job. He got Hulk Hogan to have a whole conversation in his promo before he rejected it. Then he went straight to plan B and now he is again, he says everyone knows that money makes the man and it takes big money to uh, match up to a man like this. And Andre, he says Hogan's account is overdrawn. And so what is lingering over this is not even the narrative that started the feud. It is now the fact that Ted DiBiase may have found a way to be the world champion without making any effort, without wrestling a matchup. And the only thing that could possibly stop him is all the things that we kind of scoff at, which is that invisible 
uh, force between Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniac. So you got this kind of deep spiritual uh, claim versus a very pragmatic uh, behind the scenes, more than we even know, hardened reality that is going on in Ted DiBiase. That's a very good point. Um, I think the counter to that is we will find out after all this is done that uh, Ted was actually never capable of disrupting the system this way, even though uh, nobody. <laughs> I'll get into that later, but yeah, okay. you know, in the moment it feels uh, it does feel like that because we've not even seen Ted wrestle yet uh, on any of these major events, and here he is. And if Andre wins, ostensibly he's going to get the championship belt and. Um, yeah, what would be the point of wrestling? It would just become a race to uh, make money, and you could buy the title next, you know? So. Yeah. And I will say, I think the thing about that is that we're never going to see Ted DiBiase the same again. He will have the chance to buy the belt, and when that doesn't work out, he wrestles for the belt, and he doesn't win it, and it's never the same. So, again, for good and bad, and we can break that down when we get to it, the thing that props him up on the stage that he is standing on right now is this threat of I am taking another way around that, you know, if it works, every it's all, it's all over. So, you know, it need not work with Jack Tunney. Who knows if Jack Tunney's even watching the show or not, you know, <laughs> I don't know what Jack <laughs> Tunney does in his own time. God knows. We don't want to know, but uh, yeah, Ted DiBiase, my favorite Ted DiBiase stuff is um, somewhere else, but, this is definitely a time where he feels the most like the, the threat of him actually becoming WWE champion or WWF champion um, is very palpable. It's, uh, you know, it's something that you could actually see happening. And uh, you're right, later on, it's not necessarily going to feel that same way. Yeah, and I do. There are times that I might enjoy him more. I'm just speaking from a storyline sure. uh, standpoint. Yeah. And Hogan's, re- Hogan's rhetorical counter is he goes back to the training, the prayers. And the vitamins, he says, that small change to you, multi-million dollar man, but I have invested my three assets wisely, a lifelong profit-sharing plan with all my little holsters. So I like the flip on this, that to Ted DiBiase, there is no value in this. And to Hulk Hogan, it's not just – this is different than the earlier claim. You know, it's just some indirect claim. Like he, he really has history behind I have invested in these three assets because he's a four-year world champion. And so it becomes, again, we are watching something to find out what happens when the giant has everything on the line, when Ted DiBiase's whole entire character claim has everything on the line, and a four-year babyface champion who has changed the business is putting the entire claim of his babyface run, which is that those three assets and how they've been invested on the line. Like, what the hell is going to happen is it going to be a slam and a leg drop? Is it going to be something else? But there's going to be consequences, and somebody is going to either be made a liar or they're going to have not covered their bases, which is what we will hear. But something is going to happen that is going to be consequential before this night is over. Yep, absolutely so. And I, I appreciate um, the doubt and the controversy. They still have carried over from WrestleMania 3. Because even in this Hogan promo, he says... I, I watched the footage hundreds of times, and I'm sure you only had a two count on me, but I was like, well, why'd you watch it a hundred times if you're so sure? Yes. You know, even you, even you, sounds like you were having some doubts and you had to convince yourself. So, 
Uh, it does feel like, um, you know, Hogan won that other match, but it was on the edge of a knife, if if at all. If so at all. So there's, there's doubt remaining, and I like how they draw that out. That is so astute, because he says, with all the controversy from WrestleMania 3, I'm trying to keep an open mind. And I think, of all the things that we've said that Hulk Hogan doesn't do in the 90s, that might be the biggest one. Yeah. Like, this is a man that not even always in his rhetoric and what he has embodied for over a year. I think we almost kind of mocked the storyline because it is a fictional storyline that, you know, oh, well, I watched Andre for 15 years. He was my mentor. I saw how he was with the children. But the way he's embodied and carried himself in this storyline, I feel like Andre was that mentor and Andre was that giant. Andre was that because there is a timidness with Hulk Hogan throughout all of this that we may never see again. And it works so well in the storyline. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there will definitely come a time where there isn't even really a conversation from Hulk Hogan's side uh, to give any possible credibility to anything that anyone might say against him. You'd probably not even address it at a certain place in time. But, uh, you know, we, we are still in that era of meaning, meaningful Hulk Hogan. And... Um, and it's very much uh, to the credit of the storyline, I think. Yeah, it's, it's also with Hulk Hogan here. He comes out halfway down the ramp, like slow walking and posing. Mm. And the moment he sees like the folks in the ring, Andre and De- DiBiase and Virgil, he takes off running with his belt like he's going to clear the ring. And they are just standing there. And Andre has a carefree look. Hulk Hogan is staring him down and using energy and Andre just got like a question mark of like what are you even trying to evoke here on his face (laughs) yeah yeah Andre very um chill about all of this but you know what is another thing I like about this match is that actually maybe uh turns against Andre Mm. as this begins um just to get into it, yeah, uh, Hogan, you know, he starts real fiery, he beats up DiBiase and Virgil, throws him out of the ring, and then he just goes after Andre, and the first part of this match, he is just battering Andre from pillar to post, and Andre won't go down no matter what Hogan does, but uh, it's just straight brawling, straight offense from Hogan. Ventura points out, like, he's not trying body slams, he's not trying anything fancy, and Andre really gets zero offense in the opening minutes of this. It's just Hogan um, dropping bombs on this planet of a person and trying to make a dent in him, and it's cool. It's very different than anything we saw at WrestleMania, and uh, I think that's to the credit of the match. Yeah, the greatness of both men in this era raised to me an entire level just off the way this matchup was booked and run because it is, I wrote down, this is not a match. It's a boss battle in a strategy RPG. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Especially this first part, they wrestle it. Like if Andre gets one shot in, it might um, just body Hogan right there. And it does feel it's the video game where you have to hit the boss like a hundred times without getting hit once to get the win. Uh, That's a very astute observation. Yes, I said Hogan has, Hogan gave Andre everything, zero offense by Andre, and Hogan is more worried uh, at this moment than Andre. Yeah, yeah, because for everything Hogan hits, Andre doesn't go down, Andre is still, I love this, because Andre is like still swinging 
and Hogan is dodging. And again, like there will probably come a time where you Hogan wouldn't dodge at all. He would just accept the shot and it wouldn't matter. Like nothing would affect him. Um, but here, yeah, like he's moving, he's dodging and it's, it's very compelling. You know, I, I really like this part of the match. I man, it's so good. And Hogan's trying to go, okay. Oh God, this is so good. It's electric too. The fans are insane. And I am like, I am there with it. Jesse Ventura is there with it. Jesse Ventura says at one point he can knock DiBiase down. He can knock Virgil down, but he can't knock Andre down. Yeah. And there's, this is history that will come out. This is pattern where if you don't knock a big man down, you're staggering him. Mm. You know, he's falling. Hogan will run through Andre with something like an elbow to the head. And I don't know if his, he just goes through Andre, but I know that he goes past Andre and Andre does not move buckle. Like there's, there's no like threat of falling down either. <laughs> yeah. It's just bouncing off him at times or just uh, grazing off him. So, um, I love, uh, I really like good transitions in a wrestling match. And this has a nice one because Hogan finally, like, he hits all these shots. It's not working. He doesn't want to do the slam because last time it almost backfired on him. So he goes up to the top rope, something he rarely does. And uh, it does turn out to be a big mistake because Andre is finally able to grab him and he just chucks him across the ring. Uh, so it's a nice transition. And after that, it gets a little more even because Andre comes over. He tries to kind of fall on Hogan. Hogan gets out of the way, so Andre takes himself down instead of Hogan taking him down, and they uh, build on it from there. It's a very, very nice sequence. Yeah, it, it blew my mind to watch 80s babyface world champion Hulk Hogan get tossed off the top rope like Ric Flair heel world champion does every <laughs> night. Andre, it, it's the same spot. It is. And Andre just tosses him off the top rope. And again, Jesse Ventura is so good because when Andre does the headbutt or whatever and misses... He says it took the giant to knock himself off his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then it even goes a little further because Hogan goes for a cover pretty quickly after this, but Andre counters it just by grabbing Hogan's throat and he just starts squeezing. And then, yeah, like the choke has been a big part of the buildup to this match. So uh, it's a really, it's a nice image. It fits really well with what they're doing and it continues the match in a very uh, logical way, which I do appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And Andre doesn't just toss him. Like, Hogan won't try to slam Andre, but Andre, like, super slams Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he and does. I just wrote down, don't tell me that Andre doesn't believe he's the babyface challenger in this match. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, choking aside, because uh, he does do his gimmick where he takes his shoulder strap and he uses that to choke Hulk Hogan, which is a little outside the rules. But I think Ventura said, hey, it's just... um." turnabout for all the eye rakes and stuff that Hogan was doing yeah. earlier, which is absolutely true. So uh, Andre, not morally blameless, but uh, neither are any of the baby faces in this era. Yeah, I think Jesse Ventura uh, goes a little Bobby Heaton here. He says, uh, <laughs> with, with with Andre not obeying the rules, he says, Hebner only weighs 150 pounds. It's hard for the giant to listen to someone so small. <laughs> <laughs> Wrote that line down, too. Yeah, I mean, if you're like three or four, of a little yeah. guy who's trying to tell you what to like, it must be hard. It's a good point to listen to somebody that you could probably just step on and like, I have to listen to you. Like, yeah, I don't know. So good point. Good point. Yeah. And then the scary part about this is you got this matchup that 
again, the beginning, the first part is so strategic. It's almost like Hogan's going to bring the street fight. He's going to bring a non-wrestling style. He's going to do everything that he can, but he gets nothing out of it. Then you get the Andre dominance. So you kind of get this opinion that at least Hogan's in charge, very much trying to drive the match. Then Andre's in charge trying to drive the match. And it really turns out that neither of them ever were in charge of anything that was happening. The man in charge is either on the outside of the ring, if you want to say Teddy Biasi, or he's been in the ring with them the entirety of the matchup, if you want to say Dave Hebner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we do move into the finish here. Uh, and I like the finish a lot because Hogan goes up to the top again, and this time it works, and um, it's a classic uh, little spot to do. Um, Andre goes down off of a uh, jumping, diving clothesline from Hulk Hogan. Hogan hits the leg drop. Hebner is off yelling at Virgil while he gets the visual three count. Uh, Hogan goes after Hebner and kind of prods him and yells at him until Andre recovers. Throws Hogan down, pins him. Hogan seems to kick out at two, but Hebner counts three anyway. And uh, Vince McMahon is very, very upset about all this. He, he refuses to believe it. He says it's a stupid mistake. And uh, the crowd, man, the mm. crowd uh, is all over this. They, they, they are not happy about this outcome. I don't think the fans knew that this could be done to them. Yeah, right. It, between that, Vince McMahon does a great job. I mean, just his outrage because Jared says, we got a new world champion. He says, no, we don't either. And there's like a desperation. And you feel like watching this era that Vince McMahon's words will somehow make that reality that the second ref will come down or that another ref or the match will be restarted because like, this is an era the babyface always wins, even if it makes no sense. And this thing just starts happening like in a fast forward motion. And there's like one, two, three, four times you expect it to be stopped, but there's nothing that, to stop it. Howard Finkel says, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this bout. And Vince McMahon says, no. And then Howard Finkel continues over him and new world champion. And then there's like a microphone, there's an interview, and Hogan is standing there aghast, and like the camera is not even focused on Hulk Hogan. By God, like the cameraman is out of whack, the referee is out of whack, the the entire like universe is out of control in this moment, and there's nobody that can wrap their arms around it in this moment and bring it back to what we're used to. And it's very jarring in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It's a disruption of uh, the last four years. Everything uh, that you were learned was supposed to happen is now uh, falling apart. So, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine what I might have thought if I were in the crowd in that exact moment. Um, it must have been really unexpected and really strange to see, especially because uh, WrestleMania is coming up and like, you, you, what, you, you're going to do a title change? This close to WrestleMania and to Andre no less, and the ref didn't really count three. And oh man! Uh, and I, on top of all of that, for for how many fans this did, the show did not even sell out. Um, it is a storm that like people are not going to be able to travel hmm. for like a day or two to even get out of the area because it's, like it's such bad weather. Wow. So to get to the arena, like you went through that, and you got to get home, and there's no way in the world that you thought that you were coming there to see anything other than Hulk Hogan's revenge on this giant who has been claiming these things for three years. 
Never. I don't know what the ride home might have been for some of these people. Oh, yeah. For some of the families with kids, they probably yeah. were a little pissed about that. Yeah. Because they're not, you know, as you said, we can talk about, you know, probably on the next show, you know, how quickly this gets overturned and what comes out of it. And we, we might have our opinions on that. But standing in this moment, like Hulk Hogan can beat up the referees. He can question the referees. But there's nothing changing. And, you know, I don't know how much more despicable, like Ted DiBiase, like being handed in the moment, Andre so quickly, like gives away that world title. And like, yeah. who wants the belt like this? But if, if people can start to want the belt like this, then there's nothing left again uh, to even be like contending for. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the chaos of this post-match, before anything is sorted out, Andre very quickly tells Gene Okerlund he's selling the title to Ted DiBiase right now. So uh, Andre's one and only world championship reign uh, ends as soon as it begins. Um, Vince says it's ridiculous, but here's something. I touched on this a little bit before, and this will become a talking point as we go on. Vince says it's ridiculous, but it's what Ted and Andre said they were going to do from the start. Like, they didn't hide it. They weren't sneaky about it. They said, Andre's going to win the title. He's going to sell it to me. And nobody told them that they couldn't do that. So clearly to me, all of these baby faces, I guess, just did not take this threat seriously because nobody bothered to address it. Nobody had a contingency plan for if it actually happened. Um, so you can say it's ridiculous, but they're really just living up to exactly what they promised they were going to do. That's a great point. And, and Hogan will say, I thought I had my bases covered. The bases covered is that the four-year champion is not going to lose, so it's not going to allow this to happen. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah, his base is being covered, I guess, is just him relying on his psychic connection with children <laughs> across the country. So maybe not the best way to cover your bases. But then again, it usually worked for him. So what can I say? Uh, they play out the angle. And in case you didn't know, um, of course, the referee here is Dave Hebner. We all know Earl Hebner is also there as his twin brother. So they bring out both Hebners. And they, they do a thing where, like, one Hebner, like, replaced the other one, and we don't know all the details yet. Uh, one Hebner, like, punches the other one, and Hogan decides the one who did the punching is evil and throws him out of the ring. Um, and it looks a little rough. I think one of them, there's probably Dave, uh, gets pretty hurt in this segment, which is unfortunate, because uh, we're really only going to have Earl after this, I think. Um, I got to say, like, up to this point... I was really into everything, and I think all the praise has been worthwhile. But the the double Hebner thing, I don't know. I'm not really sold on it. I don't know if you feel about it. Hulk Hogan will go on to say that, like, it was plastic surgery, uh, and, like, Ted, like, paid a guy to look like Hebner and impersonate him. I think later they'll come out that they are twins, but one of them is kind of, like, evil. I don't know. It's, like, it's very silly, and... Um, we've talked about how it's not really fair to say things are cartoonish in this era as a, uh, a slam because a, a lot of cartoons are awesome. And B, because, uh, that's actually not really even true. A lot of the time, this feels a little more like you could point to this and be like, this is a very silly thing that happened. So I don't know. What do you think about the whole double twin referee thing? <sighs> it's definitely not something I want to see in pattern, right. you know, 
when Hogan makes that statement about, I got two opinions about when Hogan says, uh, how much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? Uh, <laughs> that is like the worst, like, not even cartoon, that's soap opera, you know, yeah, to, the, yeah. to the extreme. But if that's not the storyline, I do like the fact that, and I wish there was more of this in wrestling, actually, that right after a match, you, your guesses at what happened might not be right because right. you're not all reading the same script together backstage. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like the idea that he's just maybe putting wild guesses out there that aren't even it. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not so much against it. As I have to, I would have, here's what I would have to do. I think I would have to be watching weekly and see how they handle it afterward. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's a re- one referee being balled off and one has more ethics than the other, you know, Earl should definitely be the one without the ethics. But uh, then I can do I can go with that because that that gets wrapped up in the narrative that while Hulk Hogan, as you said, was doing the psychic uh, children Hulkamaniac thing, Ted DiBiase was not playing a guessing game. Uh, so if it's just a paid off referee, I don't see what the problem is. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, like watching week to week, the story didn't impress me that much because it was a little convoluted and it wasn't even like. There were two Hebners, and they were both referees. It's just like Dave was a referee, and Earl was just his brother, and he happened to be evil, and somehow Ted got him in to like come and evilly, uh, <laughs> you know, cost Hogan the title. Um, right. So, so I don't know. Um, we'll have to watch and see how much of it that we see. Maybe my opinion will change. I will say, I get what you're saying about Hogan. Like, if he just threw out a wrong guess, that'd be one thing. But I was not too impressed with Hogan's post-match promo because he's backstage and he's, like, almost in tears. And he he's like, how much did they spend on the plastic <laughs> surgery? Oh, no. Oh, they were identical. Oh. And it's like, it's, it, it doesn't have the gravitas that I would like to see after a four-year title reign ended. And um, I know he got screwed, but he's just, like, moaning and, like, Eh, overacting, I would say. And it's such a contrast to, I really praised Hulk Hogan when Andre first turned on him, and he played off so well that he was, like, shocked and speechless and uh, betrayed. And that was one thing, and then he's doing something else here, which I was not too impressed by. I thought this was more silly than compelling. <laughs> uh, I I did not feel that way, but... you no. okay. Again, it's a 50-50 because you're not going to back me into a Hogan is a good actor because that's, <laughs> that's not it, – it was overwrought uh, and it was bad at times. There was definitely cringe moments for me in watching it, but there's also a part of me that believes this is exactly how the Hulk, the Hulk Hogan character would behave. He's got spit or something even beyond spit, I don't know, on his face by the time he's done with it. And just – because, again – whether you want to say he's a huckster and he's full of shit, or you want to say he actually believes the things that he believes, like he he is he put out there, they more powerful than money, more powerful than all these other things, is the training, the prayers, the vitamins, the connection to the fans that he has invested, and it turned out that he was wrong, and it turned out, yeah, you can be defeated, and. I think there's two different ways. You could view it if you wanted to, if you're a Hulk Hogan fan of, like, this is shock and it's hurt and he's spiraling and it might be ugly, but you know what is his reaction? Or if if he is part huckster and part cult leader, that's got to also be threatening because I don't know if you come back from this. I think I'm 
I enjoy it all. If all of this led to, um, and this is this is a WrestleMania four thing that I want to talk about, but if all of this led to Hulk Hogan winning the belt at WrestleMania four, then I would condemn the entire year and and everything in it. Sure. But you know, it really is a falling away of Hulk Hogan that he's not easily going to come back from. So. I don't know. I, I, I recognize cringe in it, but also there are parts of it that felt like, like, I don't know if he would soft, like have a soft cry. I think he would. I don't even know how to say it, but they create a world. Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan rhetorically create a world mm. that they end up believing in that this kind of stuff can never happen to them. And whether they're sincere and they're, by God they're doing it for the kids and they're the best option or if they're just money hungry I think they believe their own stuff, and I think 10 out of 10 times Hulk Hogan imagined that this would not be the way that this would end, mm. and I think it's a little scary and a little ugly and probably a little violent, and Gene probably should leave the locker room, <laughs> but I think maybe the camera just shouldn't be in there with on Hulk Hogan that close to uh, his his uh, story coming unraveled. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, I, I can get on board with that, but I, I would almost prefer, like, if you said you said Oakland should have left the locker room, I honestly think I might have preferred if he wrecked the locker room. And so yes. he just seemed he looked so ineffectual, mm. um, just just kind of like complaining. And he did get screwed, but he's less complaining and uh, doing it kind of in a, a silly, little bit of a cringy way. I, I don't agree. Know, I think like if you kind of gloss over those moments, uh, it does work really well. And I think I'm still very invested in the overall storyline, but I just wish there had been a little bit of a different execution here in this promo. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Um, the other thing I want to say that came to me just at the end when Andre's so like, if you like turn your head, you don't even know that Andre is giving the belt away. You know, that's how quickly yeah. that happens. And it dawned on me. I don't think Andre, the giant ever wanted to be, the heavyweight champion. Hmm. I think all he, this is a man of great reputation, of great valor, of great respect. He's already done everything to solidify himself. I think all he ever wanted was for Hulk Hogan to offer him a title shot yeah. and to respect him the way that he claimed that he did. And so we watch an Andre that is sometimes pissed off, sometimes pursuing, sometimes calm, sometimes cool. And he's always looking at Hulk Hogan with almost this question mark of, I can't even read it either. I, I don't respect you. You don't deserve to be here. Or even I want to respect you and none of this should actually be this. But it just hit me in the match that like everything in the lives of Hulk Hogan and Andre changed to the point that they can never get back over that divide mm. over the world title that Andre just gave away. Because I don't think he ever wanted to be champion. He just wanted to be treated with the respect that Hulk Hogan claimed that he had for him. Yeah. You don't want to go to the party, but you still want somebody to ask you to go to the party. You know, yeah. It's something I think we all might be able to relate to. That, and it's, again, the why Andre comes off so well in some of this. And Hulk Hogan, again, is behaving like that in the back. Yeah. Because there is something. like I, I think even in the best of Hulk Hogan... Like if you're a Hulkamaniac, like I said, he, he's a great line drawer. Mm. And like that big, nasty giant used to be his mentor. And then he questioned if he ever, like the man that you watched with children that convinced you to invest in the things that to you are more pure than anything in the world. Then you later questioned if he was ever sincere with the children. He was sincere enough to shape your life. Mm. So 
I think even in a in a narrative that's not unfair to Hulk Hogan, there's a part of him <laughs> that is crooked. Yeah. And I think you see some of that in the back. Like you see, you see him misbehaving and acting out in a way that ought to be beneath him. It's not only about DiBiase stealing the belt. It's about this is not supposed to happen to me. And again, the power of Hulkamania, Hulkamania is a great thing. But if if you just are solidified that you can't lose, then you're not being vulnerable and there's really nothing to this. So yep. either you can handle a loss or there's nothing to this at all. Mm, yeah, yeah, good point. And uh, even though Ted DiBiase will not officially be champion, um, I can't overlook that uh, Hogan does lose the belt. He, his yeah. longest title reign ever is lost because of the chicanery. So he, he certainly has a right uh, to some extent to feel very cheated by this. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think something maybe breaks a little in this moment because Hogan's never going to have a title reign like this ever again. You know, he's never going to be champion for four years straight anywhere ever um this is the run this is the title run that made hulk hogan who he is and this is how it ends you know you, you who knows how you might react to that that's a hell of a point because two they're not going to replace you with the person who screwed you they are going to replace you with another babyface world champion yeah and i never thought about that he's never going to get back to a title reign this long so there is something great that is lost, and also, like you said, he was defeated. Like his belt was taken. So, whether you're the Undertaker, or whether you're Yokozuna, or whether you're whoever watching from wherever, you now know that if Hulk Hogan wins the belt, somebody can take it off of him. Yeah. Wow. Woo. Fallen legacies, <laughs> man. I want to say, man. I just think. I just wish Hulk Hogan was able to respect Andre the Giant the way that he wanted to be respected. Yeah. Would have been nice. If Hogan just imagine, like, yeah, if Hogan, um, when Andre came out with Heenan, Hogan had just said, Andre, come on, I'll give you a title shot. Just come over here. Don't don't be with him. We're going to have a title match. You can have it if you want. We're friends. We're You're my mentor, you know. I think Andre might have gone for it. You know, I think uh, yeah. that could have solved it possibly right there. We got instead of that whole, no, say it ain't so. like Right, like you must denounce your decision to come back into my good graces. I don't know. That's how I kind of looked at it. It's shocking to me because Bobby Heenan is the one that's supposed to get got into his head. Well, Bobby Heenan is not around anymore, and he's right. still doing it. Well, I guess it's about the world title. Well, he gives away the world title. So what is it about? And that is the thing. And maybe it's the great contradiction of Hulk Hogan because how many people are ever going to be as powerful and successful as Hulk Hogan? And you're going to see in many babyface stars, the way you do that often is to be selfish, is to be singular, and to dominate and take and take and dominate. But to think that it might have actually been better for you at times if you would just get out of your own space and recognize there's something else that could be done. Andre is the great lesson that never gets learned. It's a hell of a way to put that. And, yeah, it's not about the title. It's not about Bobby Heenan. We know Bobby Heenan, uh, you know, Andre will, will be a team player sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't even listen to or care about Bobby Heenan, yeah. Ted DiBiase, anybody. I think, yeah, it's about um, respect. It's about a, a lack of respect, a lack of, um, you know, actual friendship being shown. And it comes down to something very personal. There's something 
very compelling about that. I think maybe we'll get to this in WrestleMania four, but what might what might be most staggering is that the world title is going to go not to Hulk Hogan and not to Andre and not to Ted DiBiase. So we're going to bring down everything and none of them are going to be rewarded for it. So, and that, you know, that, that, that feels right. Actually, you know, it's going to go to somebody who's outside all of this mess that they've all made with each other. It's going to go to somebody who, uh, is, is, uh, clean of all this, nonsense the chicanery um yes i like it i like it a lot it's shocking to me because like i think about the worst errors and you know i can imagine hulk hogan beating andre and winning the tournament at wrestlemania oh, sure. yeah nope easily beats andre beats ted in the final yeah. four more years of hulk hogan you know it could have happened for sure there were several times in the last 20 years where i tried to watch wwe whether it was cena or roman reigns or someone where i thought they're loosening up and they're going to be more nuanced and complex i think i watched an ambrose versus roman reigns and it was like a short <laughs> pay-per-view match where it was like a punch or something like you know and i was like oh fooled again and you know i would have thought probably if i was watching this that hulk hogan would win the belt and if not Maybe Ted DiBiase would sneak his way through the tournament and then Hogan would beat him or Andre, but there's something so beautiful about this Randy Savage run again coming out. Like, we're all going to tear this company down. We're going to tear down the structures, you know, because we all have our reasons. And then none of you are going to be rewarded for it. It's just not what I would predict. And it's going to be the rise of Randy Savage. And we do have a little bit of time before we get there, but it is very close to right around the corner. Oh, very close. Yeah, I think we maybe have one one more event, maybe in between. Um, is it Hogan Harley Race? That's got. I want to say in. yes. I lost some of my notes uh, okay. recently, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, that does sound right to me. Oh man, anything else that you're thinking about? No, I. It, it's just um, Randy Savage is really nowhere near the title at this point. You yes. know, he just uh, he failed to get the Intercontinental title. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit out of nowhere which I think is not really the narrative, and uh, I think it's actually more compelling that way. I I would love to, uh, I, I can't know for myself because I was a baby, but to be in that time and place and to go around and ask fans, like, who do you think is going to win this title? If not, you know, Hogan, Andre, Ted DB, I think everybody would have said one of those three. Yeah. It doesn't feel like this is something that's building up to a Randy Savage title win, and yet I think it's going to feel just perfect when we do get there. Uh, yeah, I think in an overly booked, overly constructed, two standoffish world, you would think we haven't invested a year, and it's been like a, one of the best uh, buy rate years into these three people to have a fourth person come out as champion. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, they've done such a great job of putting a spotlight on him and uh, showing that, like he, he's, he, we've seen him stand next to Hulk Hogan. Yes, um, you know, we've seen him. In all these important roles, we've seen him grow and change as a character. We've seen how popular he is. So it's not just like they picked up a guy who was cold and said, well, we're just going to, like, swerve. But no, yes. like, they have been building him up, but they've also been keeping him separate. I don't – it just – it goes really well together. Uh, it's some very good booking. I, it's probably Pat Patterson. I don't know who else maybe is contributing at this time, but there's just some really great booking going on right here. <laughs> 
There is, and it fits Savage because we're talking about mm. how electric, how dynamic, how fast he is. So who else can go from over there to over here so quickly and cleanly and come out of that tournament as world champion? Absolutely, yeah. And just imagine, I feel like something really would have been lost, even though their partnership is established. I think something really would have been lost if Hogan and Savage had been, like, up in each other's business this whole time, like, if we had been seeing them together constantly. Uh, just the fact that Savage does feel very separate from all of this, I really can't stress enough how much I think that really helps where we're going. It's so smart because they know where they're going. I think they knew back in around November where they were going. So they they placed Savage and Hogan in a way that kind of got that anointing and blessing, and here he is on the big stage. Yeah. But then they took him away. If he was involved in this feud, which he would be probably in a – we got like 80 shows a week. That, <laughs> that's what leads to he would win the tournament, but then he'd be broken up and wrestling Hogan by backlash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The slower schedule, the pace of this era, um, yields a lot of good things, I think. Uh, but, you know, in time, first main event of SummerSlam, Savage and Hogan versus Andre and Ted. So, I mean, that's six months out from this show. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a very big deal as well. So we are going to see all these guys embroiled, yet it's all going to come kind of in the right time with the right flow. And uh, it's not all going to be rushed and, you know, it's it's not going to be backlash, as you said. Yeah, because if you if you had done it now, you can't also do it then, at least not effectively. And right. the mega powers have to explode. There's no other conversation because they're Savage and Hogan. Yep. So it's just brilliant in every way. And and I've been waiting and wait. I thought I thought I would be impatiently waiting, but this has been so fantastic that you know I've enjoyed this as much as I'll probably enjoy WrestleMania four. But at the same time, I am not against turning the page to Randy Savage when we get there. Yeah. Learn patience and how to savor things with uh, yes. 80s wrestling. That's that's our motto. I love it. <laughs> Man, so we got, uh, I think, Saturday night's main event. Uh, we're going to see, I think, an injury to Harley Race in that matchup with Hulk Hogan. I think you may be right. There's a weird ending to this show that we didn't mention. Oh, yeah, I don't know yeah, if yeah. It's worth sure. mentioning, but yeah, there. It, it annoys me a little bit because I understand that it's a huge moment. It's the biggest moment, so they spent a lot of time talking about it. There is also a Strike Force versus Heart Foundation match on this show, and I looked it up, and the match itself was like over 10 minutes. But I guess I don't, this was a live show, so I don't know if this was intended or not, but they like come to this match in progress, and we watched maybe about 30 seconds of it, and then commentary is like, well, we're out of time, goodbye. And on the original broadcast, the show just ended there. And okay. that's weird as well. On the network, they added like 15 more seconds and then just like Strike Force suddenly wins the match. So super weird ending here. Um, I don't know if there's much to say about it except that it's weird, A. And B, I would actually really like to see that match. So I'm a, I'm a little sad about that. Uh, I always want to see more Strike Force. But uh, still, that's the, the weird finish of the first main event. <laughs> Okay, so I like that a lot better, though, for me, because I thought that we had, like, a two-minute matchup because we do see the ending there. Mm. But I like the idea of things got so out of control and, like, the company is in flux that, like, we can't see the match, and so we'll watch it on the next week's show. I I, I did not like the idea because I I was kind of excited when they said we can't finish that because it just shows, like, we're in flux, like something's happened, but... 
you know, I thought they had turned it into like a two minute match in order to fit it you know, in the show. Yeah, I, like I get what you're saying. I, the idea of it, I like when a live broadcast kind of like goes awry, um, yeah. and that kind of adds an, uh, a bit of authenticity. But I, it didn't scan very well because like it just felt very weird the yeah. way it finished. Like they didn't necessarily present it that way, and it did feel strange. So. I don't know exactly what to make of that. <laughs> it, was strange, it was a strange evening. I will not argue that. Very weird, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, we do have the next uh, Saturday Night's main event, which I think is the last stop before WrestleMania four. And as you said, I think Hogan and uh, Race is on that card, mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting. Yes. And, uh, like I said, I lost some of my notes recently. My computer died very sadly, so if you haven't seen me around, the forums was much. Uh, that's the reason why I'm trying to get... Some stuff recovered, and then hopefully it'll be all back to normal for me. But yeah, um, do check out that episode of Saturday's Main Event just before WrestleMania 4. It's going to be a lot of good stuff on there, I'm sure. And then, yeah, it's going to be the show that you in particular have been looking forward to since the day we started this series. It's going to be WrestleMania 4 itself. Yeah, I don't even know how much I'll enjoy it against like the shows even around it, but I do like the concept that every once in a while... Uh, the world, something happens and the world title is up for grabs. It, you know, we're going to get this WrestleMania 4. We're going to get it with The Rock and Survivor Series. We're going to get it with Flair and the Royal Rumble. So three out of four of the big pay-per-views have had a time where it's just all up for grabs. I like the idea. I think we're going to get a lot of promos. So it's almost like we're watching them like uh, living through this whole tournament thing, Savage, in four different attires. So maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. There's going to be a lot of matches. Uh, we'll see, we'll see, but I, I remain excited for WrestleMania 4. I think it's going to come across well. Uh, I think we're very well primed for it at this point, and uh, we both like that idea of a one-night tournament. Um, when we were doing All About All Elite, we were, like, clamoring for it. Uh, yes. It never ended up happening, sadly, but, uh, you know, who knows in the future, and if not in the past, you know, we can find it there, and we're going to find it, it's going to be very good. It will be. All right, cool. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, like we talked about, um, you can uh, always leave some comments on LOPforums.com. That's www.LOPforums.com. If you're having trouble, or go to WrestlingHeadlines.com. You can uh, navigate your way there, hopefully without too much trouble. Listen to the rest of the programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones. And uh, definitely, if you want to give me a shout in particular, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. And uh, give me a shout, give me a follow anytime. That is all we've got for now. We'll be back next week with some more very, very fun and exciting 80s wrestling action. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Yes, until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared Discovered.